Romans chapter 12. You know, um, I love being a parent. Um, I, there are so many great and, and awesome things that, that I've gotten to experience by being blessed uh, with the three kids that God has blessed me with, and, and I love being a parent. However, um, no one told me when I was getting ready to have children, uh, no one warned me of the things that I would hear myself having to say to them from time to time or questions that I would literally have to ask these younglings, as I like to call them sometimes. For example, take a shower and use soap this time. Or, no, you can't wear shorts and a t-shirt because it's freezing outside. That's why you can't do that. Or, don't hit him with that golf club in your hand. Don't, don't do that. Uh, how about this one? Don't put your hand in the toilet. You don't do that. Um, don't, I actually had to say this to one of mine. Don't lick the bottom of your shoe. Um, I, I like this one too. If you scream like that again, you better be dead or dying. I'm telling you, don't scream like that again in my house. Um, here, here's one that I had with one of my children. I won't say which one. Um, no, God did not tell you it was okay to skip school today. Yes, God is my boss and I have to listen to him. No, you cannot ask him to make me let you skip school today. So we, we, we all have things that we, we find ourselves as parents having to say to our kids, but probably the most common statement that I believe is made by a parent of two or more kids, especially as they get older, a statement that's going to be made just about every day is this statement right here. Why can't you just get along? Why can't you just get along? Why can't you love him or love her. Now, when Jen and I found out we were going to have our second child, Garen, the Lord led her to um, Psalm chapter 133. And Psalm chapter 133, verse 1 says this, How good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in harmony. How good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in harmony. And when I found out I was going to have a second child, I had this, this picture in my head of, of this peaceful kind of meadow feeling that everything was going to be great and harmonious and we were going to be have two kids that just loved each other and adored and always hugging on one another and and never arguing or fighting and what I found out and what nobody told me was that more often our home when it come to our kids a lot of times resembled more of a war zone than a peaceful meadow like nobody warned me of that now um there are times, though, where my children do live in harmony. And if you're a parent, especially when they're little, it's a great feeling or a great experience to see your children living together peacefully or in harmony, loving one another and not quarreling and not fighting and not angry with one another. Now, what, what does that have to do with us this morning as believers? Well, let's find out. In Romans chapter 12... We've been in our series, let's stand as we read God's word. In Romans chapter 12, 
Uh, we're going to read some text in just a minute, but we've been in this series on biblical transformation. And what we've been looking at is how biblical transformation happens by the renewing of our mind. It starts on the inside, but then it works its way outwardly. And last week we saw that the first way that an out, first outward experience or the first outward revealing, if you will, of a biblical transformed mind is, um, is the, how we view ourselves. And then the second one actually deals with how we view one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So in Romans chapter 12, let's read together, starting in verse 9. We're just going to read two verses today, and uh, we're going to pick them up again next week. The Word of God says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you'd bless the reading of your word. And now as we begin to examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and your spirit in me would increase and that the words would be shared would be yours and not mine. Father, I have a feeling that there are those in this room, including myself, that really need to understand this text this morning. We need to understand what it means to really love our brothers and sisters in Christ because more often we find our churches resembling more of a war zone than the peaceful meadow that you intended it to be. And Father, the way we get through those times and the way we get through rough and rocky times in our personal lives and in our families, but also within our church family, really hinges on our minds being transformed and then how we love one another. So I pray today that as we examine this word, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and that we would respond however you lead us to respond. So I'll pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So again, last week we saw first way our minds are, are way uh, uh, we are transformed that reveals itself is in how we view ourselves, and then the very next thing that Paul addresses that that reveals that our minds are being transformed has to do with how we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But I want you to know, and I said it during my prayer, but it's true. The reason why we need to do that is sometimes our the churches resemble more like. Uh, more like a war zone than, than a peaceful church house of God. And, and we not, that's not to be the case. That's not what God intended for his church to be. The Lord desires for his children to love one another. And in doing so, we show an evidence that our minds are being transformed. Now, listen, this emphasis point is not just from Paul. This is actually the direct command of Christ. So therefore, I'll just say it like this before we get started. If you don't love your brother and sister in Christ, you're not breaking Paul's command. You're breaking Jesus's command to love one another. And you're killing your witness because Jesus said that it is by your love for one another that you will be known as my disciples. So if you can't love your brother and sister in Christ, then your witness is hurt and damaged. And you're breaking the will of Jesus. But that, that, the reason why is because God desires for his church to be different than the world. Listen, when we go into the world, we do not need to expect to be loved by them. When we step outside of these walls, we ought not expect to be treated fairly by the world. Because we won't be. But when we step foot into the church, 
When we step into the place that is supposed to be the sanctuary, that is supposed to be the meeting place of the believers in Christ, those who are united through the grace of God, by the mercy of God, by the sacrifice of God, of His Son, Jesus Christ, when we come together, we ought not treat them out, treat each other in here the way we are treated out there. See, we're called to be different. And one of the ways we're called to be different is in how we love one another. So this morning, I want everyone to talk to us about this idea and this concept of loving one another. And to do that, I just really want to point out two things. First of all, I want us to define what love is. I want to define what Paul is talking about here, love defined. Now, in Scripture, there are four different Greek words for love. And they all mean something different. Now, I'm not going to go into what all four of them are because the two of them are not relevant to our case. But in, in our text, Paul uses two of them. Two of the four words for love in Greek are used in our text. And therefore, it's important for us to understand what they mean. The first one that he uses is the word agape. And it's found in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Okay, so this idea of love is agape love. Now, in the New Testament, agape love is used to describe a few things. Uh, number one, it's used to describe God's love. When you see the verse in 1 John 4, 8 that says, God is love, that is agape love, okay? It's also used to describe our love for God in, in Luke 10, 27. And then it's, it's thirdly used to describe the love that man in his heart naturally has toward the world or the flesh. When he says that we are not to love the world or the things of this world, that word is agape love. Now, what does this agape love mean? Well, what distinguishes this type of love from all the other ones is that agape love is always an, an act of the will, and it's always shown by what it does. Agape love is a choice to love, and it's revealed in its actions. As a matter of fact, one of the best ways you can see this is in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 has long been known as the love chapter, okay? And the reason why is because Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 describes love. He says, love, for love is, and then he begins to describe it. That word love he's using is agape love, now, I want you to know agape love is different also in this. It is the only love that is used to describe the love God has for us. God chooses to love us. It's an act of the will, and it's always been revealed through actions. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love, his agape love for us, in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, agape love is always the love of God, and it is also to be our love for one another. Okay, so we are to show agape love, a love toward each other. It's a choice, and it's a choice that's always followed by actions. And if you want to know what those actions are, look at 1 Corinthians 13. Patient, kind, keeping no records of wrong. Woo! That, that right there, we can just stop right there. Okay, so we, we can just stop and say, listen, that's what love is. And we are to have this kind of love toward one another. Number two, the second type of love he is in our text is found in verse 10. Look at verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. 
Now, this is the Greek word phileo. Now, phileo literally means brotherly love. And, I mean, we've, we've heard of this before if you know the city Philadelphia. It's known as the city of brotherly love. And the reason why that is because phileo literally means brotherly love. And when you see phileo in Scripture... You, what you see is the word brotherly love. It's actually defined for us even in our own text. But phileo love is a little bit different. And it's kind of hard for us to understand in our culture today. Because phileo love refers to a close bond like brothers. However, in our culture, we don't view brothers and sisters similarly to the way they were viewed throughout the times of Scripture. Used to, you know, you were really close to your brother and sister, and you defended them. They were important to you. You can read back in the history of, uh, in the 14, 15, 1600s in Europe, for example, you know, if you slandered a, a sister's honor, you had to deal with the brothers. You didn't have to so much worry about the dad because the brothers would beat you to it. I mean, they were very particular about how they, they treated their brothers and sisters. But today in our culture, a lot of times, we're not real close to our brothers and sisters. And so there's actually more of a resemblance of this type of love in what we would call our best friend. The, the person who we, 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 we are affectionate towards, we're kind, uh, that, we stick clo- that sticks close to us. A great example of this, actually, in Scripture is the story of Jonathan and David. Now, if you were in Sunday school this morning, he mentioned some about Saul and and David in Sunday school in in Brother John's class. I heard him uh, briefly, but Jonathan is Saul's son. And the Bible says, if you go back and you want to read that, it's actually in 1 Samuel 18, but that Jonathan had a deep affection, a deep love for David. And and their relationship resembles Proverbs 18.24 that says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Okay, so phileo love is is to refers to a very close-knit bond that you have with someone, and, and it is often in, uh, exhibited to with, within close friends. Now, why does Paul mention both? Why does he mention an agape love that is an act of the will that is followed by actions, and phileo love, which is the kind and affectionate feeling towards uh, someone. Why does he mention both? Well, to me, and from what I examine and from what I come to understand, is he mentions both because the church needs both. That's why. Listen, I want you to know there's going to be times in the church where it is easy to show kindness and affection to one another. It's easy to be loving to one another. I would call these the, the peaceful times. You know, when no one's upset, no one's irritated, nobody's griping, everything's hunky-dory, everything's great, there's no problems, it's the peaceful meadow feeling within the church. It's easy to be, to show affection to someone when there's nothing going on, correct? The church needs that. But then there's times where to love one another takes an act of choice. I'm going to love you even though you don't want me to right now, you know, they, where you are having to love someone through it, you're actually having to make yourself love them because of what's going on. It's a love that transcends feeling. 
You see, we, we need to, to, to have those times. We need that kind of love because there are times where feelings are not great, where situations are not great. And agape love transcends feelings and goes to an act of the will where I choose to love you. And then it shows itself through these actions. So there, we need both. Our minds, when our minds are transformed, when we become transformed by the renewing of our minds, one of the ways that is revealed, one of the ways that that is shown outwardly is how we love one another. And we love with an agape love and we love with the phileo love. Now, the second thing I want us to see this morning is I want us to see love displayed. Because not only does Paul tell us what type of love we're to have towards one another, Paul actually goes a little bit further and describes how we do this or how we display these kinds of love towards one another. And matter of fact, in our text, he shows us four different ways that, that we love our, or that our love for one another is displayed. First of all, our love for one, one another is displayed in sincerity. Go back and look at verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let your agape love, when you choose to love, not, not because things are good, but you're making an act of the will to love, let your agape love be done without hypocrisy or to be sincere. Now, the word hypocrisy literally means heartfelt, sincere, undisguised, without play acting. That's what it means. It, it means that a person does not just say, I love you, but he actually loves you. He sincerely loves you. He honestly loves. He truthfully loves. When it comes to our love for fellow believers due to being transformed, the believer must never pretend. We must never be hypocritical. We must never put on a facade in our love for other believers. In other words, this is the key. In other words, don't be fake in the way you actually love someone, not just the way you say you love someone. You see, we are to be honest in our love for one another. Now, how do we get to that point? How do we get to the point where we don't agree with someone, we don't like what they've done, whatever you want to do, or we're not getting along, or they said something bad about so-and-so, or they've done this, or they've done that, or maybe you've done this, and you've done that, and you know they, and, and you're in this mess. How do we get to the point where we love sincerely without hypocrisy? How do we get to the point where I go to someone that I know I'm not equal, that I'm not on the same page with, and, and honestly and sincerely reveal love to them in that situation? Let me give you the key, and this is something to keep in mind, and this will help us dramatically, I think, and it's this right here. God loves them every bit as much as he loves you. Remembering that you're no more highly favored than they are keeps you on the level. Or how about this one? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, like we talked about last week. Remember, God has enough love to go around. You may be right in the situation. It's not about being right. It's about being loving in the way you respond to someone. So we need to remember that we are to be honest, to be sincere in our love. But I love how Paul doesn't leave room for that either. He, he, he just basically flat out says, it is not okay to be fake in the way you say you love someone. And he also doesn't say it's okay to just not love them. You notice that? 
well, I can't be sincere right now. I can't agree with what they're doing, so I just can't love them right now. Paul does not leave room for that in here. We don't get a choice. We are to love sincerely. Number two, we are to love by hating evil. We are to love by hating evil. Go back and look at verse 9 again. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Abhor means to hate. Now, that is a very strong word, very strong word in the original language. It, it literally means to hate with intense feeling, to loathe, or to look upon with horror. It is a very strong word. You know, we're, we're growing up, we're always told, you're not supposed to hate anything. You know, don't hate. You're not supposed to hate. Well, the Bible tells us we are to hate this. We're to hate evil. And we, we show our love by hating evil. Now, how does that work? Well, listen, true love desires the very best for someone. Can we all agree on that? True love desires the very best for someone. And so when we hate evil, knowing that evil destroys people, when we hate evil, both physical and spiritual, we are showing them what is better. We are revealing to them and showing them that love is better. You see, we show love by standing against evil, doing all we can to fight against it in order to protect and assist fellow believers in their walk. Here's the truth. It's okay to go to someone and reveal to them, help them understand what they're involved in is wrong. That's, that's okay. What's not okay is to go to them in a hateful, hurtful, demeaning manner. That's not the way we are to do it. As a matter of fact, what does Jesus say about how we go to one another? We always go to them in love and with grace for one purpose reconciliation. If you're not approaching someone that's doing something wrong in their life, and you're not doing it for the purpose of reconciliation, then you ought not approach them. You ought to let someone else approach them that is doing it for the right purpose. It's okay to stand against things that are evil. We're told to hate that which is evil. So we can demonstrate that in our own life by being an example of standing against it. We can also go to them and help them to understand that what they're doing is evil and it will destroy and it will hurt and it will cause pain. It will cause suffering. You need to get this out of your life. It's all in how you do it. If you're not doing it in love with grace to, show, to bring them to reconciliation, then you're not doing it right. How many times have you seen people leave the church with hurt feelings because they were literally caught in something that they shouldn't have done? They were literally caught, but instead of the church coming to them with an idea of reconciliation, went to them in condemnation. And it scarred them for life, and they walked away. That's not how we handle this. And doing that does not reveal love for one another. So we must go to them. We can hate evil. It's okay. I, there are certain things that I hate. When I was a youth pastor, I'll give you an example. When I was a youth pastor, my youth knew if they had an alcohol problem, I was not the person to come to. Why? Because I knew in that situation I would have very little grace. You want to know why I'd have very little grace? Because I lived in a household that the effects of alcohol and driving what didn't destroy 
scarred physically and spiritually. My sister and my father. There's nobody more staunch against drinking and driving. I have no patience for it. So when people in the church struggle with that as a youth pastor, I would tell them, listen, guys, I, I want to do what's right. And if you're struggling with alcohol, I've got people around me that can meet you with grace and mercy, with reconciliation, and help you walk through it. But if you come to me, I'm probably just going to call you an idiot and tell you quit doing it. Because I have no patience for that because I've seen the outward effects of evil in that. It's the same way with us. There may be some things you just aren't in a position to address because of the baggage you have. I, I will admit that I have baggage that I have worked, and I've gotten better at it, by the way, especially as I've become a pastor. But when you have baggage that's going to hinder you from showing grace and mercy, then you need to let someone else handle that. It's okay to stand against evil, but it's how we treat the person involved. So we hate evil, yes, but how do we do that? I'll just continue on. Well, we do that by doing what's next. Hate evil, cling to the good. We show our love for one another by clinging to the good. Now, that word clinging, uh, in a lot of translations, they'll even say it like this, cleave. Now, that, that word means to join, fasten together, to attach, uh, cement or glue together. It is a bond that's very, very strong. And therefore, we are to grasp a hold of that which is good. We are to cleave to it, and we're to work for everyone to know and experience good in their life. When we are transformed and we start loving others the way we're told to do that, one of the ways we do that is clinging to the good because we should all desire, all of us should desire what's best for everyone. And I think every one of us would agree that good is better than evil. I would hope so. And therefore, we need to not just hate that which is evil, but we need to cling to that which is good. We don't need to just take a stand for what's wrong. We need to take a stand for what's right. Do you know that a lot of times in our culture today that the church is known more for what we're against than what we're for? That comes from an idea or a lack of understanding of doing both. It's okay to stand for and, and hate evil, but we also need to stand and, be, and cling to what is good. We need to teach both sides of the coin. I'll say it like that. I'll give you one. I'm not afraid to talk about it. I don't talk about it a whole lot, but today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, just so you know. I, I'm, I'm a full-blown proponent of, of Sanctity of Life. I am pro-life as through and through as you can get. I believe in the sanctity of the life. But, you know, when we're known more for being anti-abortion than we are for pro-life, then what we did was we were more effective in preaching the hate and not as effective in, in clinging to the good. You see, everybody should know most churches are pro-life, but what they get is, no, y'all are just anti-abortion. You're anti, you're anti, you're anti. Yes, we are, but it's because we're pro-life. We want to cling to the good, not just hate the evil. And it's like that in anybody's life, no matter what they're going through. It's okay to hate that, but cling to the good side of that as well. Here's why we're against that. Here's why this that you're going through will hurt you and harm you and lead to destruction, because this is better. This is the good way. So don't just stand on the hate, but cling to that which is good in their life. And number four, the fourth way, and we'll close, is this. The fourth way that we reveal and show and demonstrate that we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind through our love for one another is found in verse 10. Let's go look at verse 10 real quick. 
Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Listen, in honor, giving preference to one another. Giving preference to one another. Now, that idea of giving preference to one another means to be eager. It means to be eager to to value or promote the needs of others above yourself. That's what it means. It's the idea of treating others as more important than you treat yourself. Some people I've met in my ministry in the church are more interested in making sure everybody knows they're right than making sure the other person is helped. I'm more concerned that everybody knows I'm right than I'm concerned about the well-being of that, the other person or the other situation. I want you to know, church, I've been in a lot of ministry experiences in my life. None more sad than a church split. If you've never been through one, praise God, you've never been through one. It's it's hurt, it's pain, it's anger, it's a whole bunch of things all balled up in a mess, and it's terrible. And what I found in when churches are splitting, a lot of times is the leaders are more interested in making sure everybody knows they're right instead of trying to find the solution so everyone can be right and whole and healed. It's not always just about being standing for right. It's about understanding that the needs of others come before your need. We are to think, we're to give preference to them, we're to value them even more so than we do ourselves. Paul mentioned this very specifically in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, listen to how he says it to the church in Philippi. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We need to have the, not just our best interest at heart, we need to have the interests of others at heart. Basically, we demonstrate love by being more concerned with the interests of others than the interests of ourselves. But you know, um, this also means one more thing when you look at it literally. The, the Greek words for giving preference, when you take them in a literal sense, literally mean to take the lead in honoring others. To take the lead in honoring others. You see, we don't need to sit around and wait for someone to honor us or to treat us as more important than them. We don't need to wait for, for, for them to, to come to the realization that what they're doing to me is wrong. We need to take the lead and do them the right way. Instead of waiting for someone to come to the conclusion that what they're doing is wrong that towards me, that they need to fix the way they're treating me, or they don't have my best interest at instead of waiting on them to come to that realization, we're to just take the lead and do it for them. We have to come to a point where we see others as more important than ourselves, and sometimes you're just going to have to take the lead and do the right thing in spite of what they do. 
and you got to do it to show your love. You see, when we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, the first way that is evidenced is in how we view ourselves, that we, we look at ourselves soberly. The second way it's evidenced is how we treat other believers. We treat them with a genuine love. Sometimes that's very easy. Sometimes genuinely loving one another is easy. We show affection and kindness towards one another, and it's easy to do so because we're real close and, and we're friends and, and there's nothing going on. There's no issue at hand. And then there's other other times where it's harder and when it's harder because maybe there are issues that's where we step in and we are to love sincerely without hypocrisy with a love that transcends our feeling and goes straight to the act of the will that is revealed in our actions for one another now again why is this all important because jesus said in john 13 35 by this everyone will know you're that my disciples that you love one another you see our our love for other believers listen to what it does and this is the last statement i'm going to make our love for other believers in the good times and in the bad times proves our position in the family of god but it is a testimony also to the power of god and the transforming power that he's done in our lives why because in the world when there's trouble you can expect fighting you can expect hatred you can expect quarreling you can expect division out there but inside when we come together even when we don't agree even when there's a problem even when you fill in the blank when we come together in love it is a testimony to the power of god on our lives and in the lives of our fellow 